Amen. I think the last time we sang that, I said I was going to lead a march around the room, and I didn't. I couldn't remember what I said I was going to do. Just warming up. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm kind of warm. Get your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Let's see, when you get there, to answer this question, what are you thankful for? Don't look at the screen. <laughs> I know, that's like. What are you thankful for? Anybody? Salvation. Blessings. What else? I heard two. I actually heard one. God's love. Okay. Any other? This church. Okay. Well, y'all are quiet this morning. Truth and grace. Okay. I'm not even going to repeat it. That was not worth repeating. Forgiveness. Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord on that. All right. Any others? God's nature. Son, Jesus Christ. Any others? Thank you. That's not, uh, not what I was looking for. No. No. Anybody else? What? God's faith. All right, now look at the screen. Anybody else thankful for anything? Thank you. And the reason I, I get to that and I point to that is this, because every time I ask, what are you thankful for, somebody always says family. And if nobody was going to say family, it would have just proven everything wrong. That I was, no. Um, thankful for family. I would say that I am thankful for you. And as we think about this, I, I want you to, to, to recognize that God has given us an incredible family. Now, first of all, when you look at the family unit, you find that in Genesis chapter 2, God establishes, God ordains and creates the first family unit in Adam and Eve. When He does so, He, uh, he has created the family unit uh, with great purpose, with, uh, with partnership. Uh, the, the, the role that Adam and Eve played together uh, the Bible says that, uh, that when God looked at Adam, He just said, it's not good that that man's alone. Can I, us men say amen, right? 
it's not good that Adam was alone. So God created Eve for companionship and, and partnership together. Uh, but, it, but He creates the family unit with, the, with great purpose, too, as well. The purpose of procreation, yes. The purpose of, uh, of support uh, of each other. That goes along with companionship. But when you look at the family unit, you see that, that God has given us something incredibly important. Important to our lives, important to our sanity, important um, to, um, to God's greater purpose for us as individuals. But along the same line, God, when He sent Jesus to this earth and Jesus lived and laid down His life on the cross and was, um, was resurrected and ascended into heaven there at the right hand of the Father, in Acts chapter 2, you uh, you read of the day of Pentecost and you see the powerful move of God who ordained that second family that you and I ought to have. And that is a church family. The church family. And so when I say I'm thankful for you, when I refer to Friendship Baptist Church, I don't talk about the building in which we sit. I don't talk about that big red roof building on the side of Highway 15. I have to answer that all the time. But I'm not talking about the building because in this building resides for me and for my family a church family that God has provided to us. And that family bears a resemblance. It ought to bear a resemblance to the first family. That is that God has established this family unit and ordained this family unit. And so we come together not as just individual families that have no connection. We come as brothers and sisters in Christ. And He has ordained us as this family. He has ordained it with great uh, with partnership and with purpose as well. You, you find that the, the partnership is that we live in relationship to each other. That when we see each other out, there's, there's a uniqueness to our relationship in that we are part of this great family, but also uh, this purpose that He has given to us as a church family. A purpose for living, a purpose for, for witnessing, a purpose for support and for encouragement. There, we could go on and on and on about the, the, the importance of a church family. And, and I hope and pray that you realize the importance of a church family and the importance of, of doing your part or being your part in the life of the family. Because the church family is a family by God's grace and by our choice. Many of you, not all of you, but many of you have chosen to unite, to, to, to place your commitment and unite with the church family that's known as friendship. Well, we make that choice. We choose to invest our lives. We choose to, uh, to place ourselves in one group, one family for God's purpose, for God's glory, uh, and, and for the growth of the family. So as we think about being thankful for family, and thankful for God's family. I want us to look at Paul's words to the Philippians. I want us to see that this is God's gracious gift to us and that we can, uh, we can be strengthened by it as well as we can aid in strengthening it to the glory of the Lord. Read with me Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the first fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When we think about this passage, I, you recognize he writes there to them after his introduction, grace and peace to you all. He he begins to express his gratitude, his thankfulness to God. Where was, where was the root? Why was he so thankful to God as he writes to the Philippians? It was based in how he was thankful for their lives, for his connection to them, his connection with them, and the power that he had seen God display in their lives. These were not just people he had met once upon a time in another place. It, these were people that he was bound together with by the power of God in their lives. And he writes to them, he says, I thank God for you every time I remember you. And when I pray for you, I do so with great joy. I, Paul's bubbling here. Paul has seen the power of God. It was in Philippi that, uh, that he, he, was put to, he was sent to jail. He was sent to jail because he was willing to, uh, he was willing to confront that, I think I used this story recently, he confronted that, that young girl, she was getting on his nerves, she was demon-possessed, um, just really getting after him, and, and he confronts her, and in the name of Jesus, get out of her, leave her alone, and next thing you know, they're not celebrating his, his work or God's work through him, they're throwing him in jail. But oh, what happened in that Philippian jail was incredible that night. Paul and Silas were, were locked there in the dungeon. And the Bible says at midnight they began to sing. It doesn't say what, what they sang, but they began to sing, sing and praise God. And as they sang, the, the earth shook and the, the doors to the jail opened. And that jailer, when he saw the doors open for fear of his life, thought that, that they had left and run out, was ready to to kill himself when he heard Paul say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the man runs in and says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? The power of God fell in that place. And that night, the jailer and his family were baptized, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this demonstration of power and Paul's connection. I can, I can see he envisions the, 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 the beating. He envisions the chains. But at the end of the chains, there was glory when he remembers that Philippian jail and his family and all of those who came to Christ 
there. There was joy, and every time he thought of them, he knew they were partners with him, and he gave thanks to God at all times, every time they, he thought of these Philippian people. But, but why? Why? Well, when you read on, you see him talk a little bit more about this thanksgiving. He gives thanks, verse 5 says, for their fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. Now, we, um, we see this term fellowship, and it literally means a, a, a connecting together around a similar purpose. It, it means to, that we are sharing together in Christ. And here, it was the gospel that had so changed him, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that as well changed their lives. And so they are born into the same spiritual family because of the Lord Jesus. And they have fellowship uh, in their lives. Fellowship that is, that is beyond the bounds of, of just uh, coming together and eating. But a, a connection that lasts outside of the fellowship hall. It was a, a, a life and purpose that they shared together. In what way? Well, again, they are part of the family of God. These folks are blood kin. Not in that they were born of the same natural family, but they were born, they were bought by the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, they are blood kin in Jesus. They are spirit kin. They are spirit kin and that no longer are they living under the control of their own lives, but they have been indwelled by the Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit who lived in Paul lived also in that Philippian jailer, who lived also in those other Philippian people that had come to know Christ. They were spirit kin. They, listen, that spirit kin is deeper than the blood kin, uh, but they are, they are together powerful to make us part of the family. Now, look, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. And say, in Christ, we are kin. Y'all looking at each other like, I got a marriage license. We can that way too. Whatever. In Christ, we are part of the family of God. We are unique individuals. Amen? But we in Christ are joined together with a bond that this world cannot separate. We are bought by the blood and filled with the Spirit. This fellowship is it goes it's not just that we are part of the family of God together, but we are fellow burden bearers. Do you know that the Bible says in Christ that we are to bear one another's burdens? That means that we are not alone. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not walk that valley alone. When we ascend to the mountaintops of joy and gladness, we do not climb that mountain alone. When we are in Christ, we are bearing one another's burdens. We are lifting one another up. We are encouraging one another. We are spurring one another on. Why? Because we are one in Jesus. We have fellowship together. We live in a society that says, whatever's going on in my life, I, I'm an individual. Uh, when it comes to the spiritual relationships, relationships that we have, we, we are timid about sharing the depths of what's going on. Or at least some of us are. Um, some of us like to tell everything. Uh, but, uh, but, but here, we, we recognize that we are fellow burden bearers. 
that we are not in this alone. Now, we don't need to be in our own little kingdom keeping everybody out. We need to recognize God's gift of the church that when we walk through those vows, we have each other to walk together through those vows. But we also need to be careful that we not get so caught up in our own little kingdom that we can't see anybody else's struggles and needs. That's a gift. Paul says, look, I'm thankful for the Philippians. Why? Because we have fellowship together in the gospel. They're family of God, fellow burden bearers, fellow partners in the journey. He knew that the task that he uh, was pursuing, that he was living out as he followed Christ, was something that, that they were on the same path. Oh, it can be overwhelming to consider uh, following Christ on our own or, or accomplishing things on our own. Yet, in, uh, in the church family, we have each other in this journey. We are never alone. So he's thankful for their fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. The third thing, he's thankful at all times. He's thankful for their fellowship uh, together. But he's thankful for their future successes. Look, Paul's not a pessimist in this thing called life. Paul is optimistic. He's not optimistic based in his ability or his education. He's not optimistic based in his wealth and in his accomplishments, his resume. Paul is optimistic in that he knows the one who's working all things for his good and for God's glory. Verse number 6, he says here, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is thankful that God is at work bearing out these future successes in their life. He who began a good work. Can I tell you this morning that you and I are all headed toward the same destination? We are. Now let me explain. I'm not going to your house for lunch. You're not coming to my house for lunch. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? Uh, you and I are headed toward the same destination in this, that Christ's purpose in our lives is that you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus. That as you and I live out our lives for however many years, uh, for, for wherever we are and, and whatever we're doing, that that life He is bearing in us, that that life will be fruitful and successful in bringing out His image in us. You ought to look a little bit more like Jesus today than you did last year on November 20th. Because you're, you ought to be growing in His image. Well, He's saying this same, this same, this, He who began a good work in you, that good work is the work of salvation, but it's also the work of bearing out Christ's image in your life. You see, the, 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 this, this success that Paul's talking about here was determined in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had a plan to bear out, to bring about our salvation. Determined in His heart, it's accomplished in the finished work of Christ. Everything that you and I need for God's success, listen, for God's success, I didn't say for worldly success. I didn't say for American success. Everything you and I need for God's success in our lives was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. It's accomplished in the gospel. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn God's favor. You can't earn God's favor. God has chosen to place His favor on you in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it's accomplished in the gospel, determined in the heart of God, accomplished in the gospel, it is affected by the Holy Spirit moving in your life. That is the conviction of sin, the convincing that Jesus is the Son of God, that His death, burial, and resurrection was for your sin, that you, listen, that the only way you can know God the only way you can get to heaven when you die, the only way you can experience God's life in you is through the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is. Fort Scott mentioned God's nature. And what He has done in the Gospel bear out in your life, convincing that Jesus is the way. And then converting soul. You can't convert yourself. You can't make of yourself something that is beyond your power. You can't turn yourself around in your own strength. I know that hurts some people. Because we're told we can, I can be anything I want to be if I set my mind to it. No. In God's kingdom, the only way, the only way your life is turned around and converted is when you come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, believe His promise and receive His gift. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you, converting you to a new creature, the, the, the new birth in Christ. It's the experience as the Holy Spirit transforms you. Many of us get to salvation and we're done. We get to salvation, we get baptized, we're thankful to be part of the family of God. And we miss God's handiwork in the transformation. I don't know why that is. Hear me this morning. There's more to this life than living and dying. There's more to this life than getting to heaven. Now, heaven's a pretty incredible reward. I'm not going to deny that. But heaven is not something you get when you die. This eternal life Christ promised comes when you get saved. If you receive the gift of eternal life, why in the world would you want to live in the dead way of life? doesn't make sense. And so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work and transformation in your life is part of this experience called following Christ. He's thankful. He's thankful that that their success is already laid out. All they've got to do is follow Jesus. Folks, our success is already determined. All we've got to do is follow Christ. All we've got to do is follow Christ. Follow Christ. So, he's thankful for their future success. He's thankful for God's continued work their continued growth. Look at his prayer for them in verse number 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, 
to the glory and praise of God. He's thankful. He's thankful for the fellowship they share in the gospel. He's thankful for the success that God has already planned now. But he's thankful to know that God is still working in their lives. That God is still working on them. He prays for this growth in their lives. This growth of of greater love in their hearts. This growth of moral excellence in their choices. This growth of sincere service with fruitful results. This growth that bears out to the glory of God. Listen this morning. God's not finished with you yet. God's not finished shaping you. Your character. Your person. He's not finished. And He won't be until the day So why settle for an unfinished product? Why? When God wants to accomplish more than you could ever think or imagine. Look, there's there's something that there's a couple of times mentioned here, an important thought that we need to hear. In verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day of Jesus Christ until the day of Jesus Christ. You hear it? And I said it three times. Surely you heard it. Well, verse uh, verse 10. This is that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ. You, 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 you see the, the goal, the end goal, the end goal, the end point is is that we become everything, that we be growing in everything until that day when Jesus Christ says, steps out and says, you're done. You're complete in Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning, as Paul writes to Philippians, he is thankful for them. I am thankful for every one of you. I encourage you to be thankful for God's gift of a church family. I encourage you to be thankful for the fellowship that you have with God's family. You say, well, I don't experience much of that fellowship, or I, I don't know about that fellowship and how it applies to me. Then, then I would encourage you that maybe you need to invest in the fellowship. The fellowship is not something that's delivered to us on a platter. Fellowship is an investment that we make in each other in Christ. Thankful for the fellowship. Thankful for the success. I encourage you to look up with hope and know the success is on the way. Until then, you be thankful for God's continued work and you pursue Him with all your heart until He grows you into the person that He has created you. I want to shift gears this morning. I encourage you to be thankful. I encourage you to be thankful for the church family, but I encourage you this morning to be thankful for the gift of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One of the greatest acts of fellowship you and I have is to come to the remembrance table and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Paul writes to that Corinthian church to tell them as often as, as often as, whether you take the communion daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, however often you take the cup, you do so in remembrance Paul goes on to give a few guidelines that I think are important for us to understand. And and these guidelines lead us to our invitation this morning. The invitation is this. Therefore, verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. The challenge of Paul is the challenge I extend to you this morning to examine yourself before we partake of the Lord's Supper. See, he says, if anybody eats or drinks in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Unworthy manner. Number one, the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who are in Christ. You don't have to be a member of Friendship Baptist Church this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper. What you do have to be a member of is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ globally. That is, that that you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, or you don't know that you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, I encourage you not to partake. Parents, listen to me. If you have a child that is not saved, never trusted the Lord, do not let them partake of the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you why. Because if they partake of the Lord's Supper apart from Christ, the uniqueness of its meaning to the believer will be stripped from them when they come to faith in Christ. The Lord's Supper is for those who are in Christ. Okay? That that makes sense? Let's let a man examine himself. I think it also means this, that if we approach the, the table of remembrance, harboring sin in our lives, then we partake in an unworthy manner. Because the cross of Christ does not free us to continue in sin. The cross of Christ calls us to repent 
our sin. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But it means at a heart level, you and I need to be repentant in all that we do. And so the challenge for us in this time of invitation is this. The challenge is to search your heart. Maybe you pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, if there's something in me that causes me to come with an impure heart, show me so that I may repent and partake of the Lord's Supper in purity of worship. So as we come to this invitation, it's time to examine. If you want someone to pray with you, I'd be honored to pray with you. Pork chop here, others would be willing to pray with you. You just need to take some time soul searching. Making sure you're ready. We're going to take a few minutes to do that before we protest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation. For the gift of life. And today as we come to this uh, table, to this Lord's Supper, you have given us life, you've given us meaning, you've given us purpose. You've called us to yourself. And today, Lord, there are some here that need to respond to you. There's some that need to be saved, Lord. There's some that need to trust you for the first time. There are others, Lord, that um, they, they know you, they've been saved, but for whatever reason, they've walked back into sin. Today, they need to repent and be restored before you. Father, in this time of invitation, I pray that the goodness and grace of God would be clear in their hearts as they hear your invitation, come, come home.